Please standing with me, if you will, for the gospel reading today from Matthew chapters 9 and 10. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, not two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon the house. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. You see, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they'll hand you over to the council and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will be against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Let's join together to pray. May our praying center our thinking together. May it open our 
minds and our spirits to hear the word that comes through sermon or through scripture or through song or through sacred space. Whatever way you seek to communicate, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, I love the passage before us from Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus embodies the gospel, where he goes out and heals and blesses and teaches and preaches, announcing the kingdom. Simon Peter said of Jesus in the book of Acts, he went about doing good. He went about doing good. He was one who had compassion, who saw people, who saw their deepest needs. And he recognized that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then it's interesting to me that the very next words we hear are Jesus saying to the disciples, I need help. I can't do this alone, and it's not mine alone to do. It's time. The harvest is ripe. There are a lot of hurting people in the world, and the laborers are few. So pray that the Lord send laborers into the harvest. And then Jesus calls his disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, Bartholomew, James the Less, Simon, Thaddeus, Judas. They're ordinary people. They're ordinary people. The only thing that qualifies them, the only experience they have that, that, that causes them to be the ones that he sends out is this. They've had a glimpse, maybe just a taste, of what it might mean if God were put at the center of life. They'd seen little scenes of, of, of wholeness and life. They'd seen people raised, people made whole, all signs of what God wants to do, not just here or there, but all over the world. This isn't that God loves some people and not other people. It's that God has called us and shown us in Jesus, here are ways to live and love and heal. Now, go, go do that. Go do these things. He sends them out with these instructions. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. That is, the people of God. Today we might say, go to the church in our parlance. Those who have experienced and seen God's intention and remind them. Remind them of what this is about. This is about the kingdom of God. God's intention for the world. God's dream that we saw in Genesis 1 in Eden, broken now, but always again and again, that toward which we point. Harmony, unity, abundance, great diversity and beauty. And here's what Jesus said. This kingdom, this dream, it's right here. It's very near. In another place, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is among you. In another place, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, the tools are right here in this world, at our very disposal, in our very hands, to do that which God wants to do. Because you see, God's not a magic genie that we get to summon and activate. God is the power in us 
to do that which we never could do on our own. To take the resources we have and cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out the demon. We experience this in various ways through our lives. Many of us have entered into this journey having experienced it at a, an elemental or personal level. I was 16 years old when I had my first awakening to God. I had started hanging around a church because there was a cute little girl named Denise that I was trying to, to woo. I was a heap of hair and hormones and hurt. But as we sat around that campfire one night and I heard the group singing, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up and it's glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Something happened. Something awakened in me. The foundational love of God shot through me and changed the course of my life. It changed my spiritual DNA and I was, as we said back then, saved. And I've been wanting to pass it on ever since. In the years since that eventful day, the gospel, the good news, has absorbed deeper into my being, into my psyche. It affects new and broader areas of my life. I'm not just cured... I'm cured of sick relationships, sick understandings. Dead hopes are raised again. Those places where I feel leprous, I can feel again cleansed. And demons like fear and shame and scarcity can be cast aside. Because the good news is that God's dream isn't some distant heaven. God's dream is about life right here and now which includes harmony and unity and, yes, justice. Justice. You realize we sing fairest Lord Jesus maybe not because his skin was fair, but maybe because he was fair. He knew that to, to live in equality, to live in harmony, is to live as God dreamed us to live. And so our Vision 2020 has this as our vision where transformed people join the work of God to create a world where justice and love are abundant. There's enough for everyone. But not only does the gospel affect us in that initial moment when we first feel that spark within us, and not only as it goes deeper and deeper into our being or into our community here, but there is yet another dimension of this sending forth that Jesus does with these laborers for the harvest. Jesus sends them further out into villages and towns, into the streets, advocating for God's dream in the public square to our government to say we the people wish to be ordered arranged grouped in this way so that there is enough for all 
Jesus warns us this call to justice is going to threaten the governments who aren't doing justice. So he warns us very candidly, you're going to be dragged before governors and kings because of me. Now, some of you may notice the word governor in that sentence. And it gives me an occasion to pause for just a moment and speak about the dust-up I've had with our Kentucky governor. Two weeks ago, we voiced our strong objection to his proposal to solve violence in our urban areas by engaging in prayer walks. We said these were either practically superficial or they're politically acts of diversion, just trying to divert our attention. Well, we had some op-eds two weeks ago. I had an op-ed in the Career Journal. Last week, uh, my partner, Kevin Cosby, had a letter or an op-ed in the Courier. Now there's been a couple more since then by representatives of Governor Bevan, and I assumed that things were starting to die down when on Thursday of this week, the governor's office released a video that condemned religious leaders, as he said with air quotes, of grandstanding, of pandering to our own self-interest, of misrepresenting the facts. In fact, the governor said we mocked him, that we mocked prayer, that we mocked Christianity. And he concluded by saying, what's being separated here aren't, aren't the races, but we're being separated from each other like the sheep separated from the goats. Then he looked into the camera and said, and the, the ministers know what I mean. Thank you. <laughs> well, we do know what the governor meant. He's making a reference to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus' very last parable. It's called the parable of the last judgment. It tells the story of how when the Son of Man comes, the king will gather all the nations of the earth under his glory, and he'll separate them like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep will go to heaven. The goats will go to hell. And I think it was pretty clear which side the governor thought we were on. And that was annoying. I keep smelling sulfur around, but it's also one of those moments where it's just a big old fat softball pitch that's right down the middle. You just want to knock it out of the park. You want to respond. Because I can't help but notice that those who are gathered, the determination for those who are gathered to go to either heaven or hell, the, what's gathered aren't individuals. What's gathered aren't churches. What's being gathered together in that parable are the nations, the governments of the earth. They're being judged. And the criteria by which they're being judged is not what they profess, but what they provide for the least of these. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was sick, you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to me. In other words, you made me whole. Me, the least of these. You made me whole. You gave me resources out of your resources. You met my deepest need, even when it inevitably and naturally 
Tax my resources. Tax your resources. And strain your stamina. You did it anyway. And so I've been invited to write a response. The next salvo in this battle of words. And here's the perfect opportunity to just knock it out of the park. To take Matthew 25 since the governor brought it up. And just throw it right back to him. So I started writing an op-ed yesterday afternoon. But then I've got this Sunday day job where I've got to write sermons. And (laughs) I came back to the text for today. Matthew chapter 10. Where Jesus says you'll be dragged before the governor and kings because of me. As a testimony to them. As a testimony to them. Testimony. I don't want to give testimony. I want to fight. No, says Jesus. What we need is testimony. Speaking the truth as you experience it. As you hear it in the gospel, speak it with courage, with conviction. But also with complete honesty and always enveloped in love. For testimony is about compelling It's about inviting. It's about building bridges. It's about uniting. At the deepest level, testimony is about ways that we find to cure the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to cast out the demon. So much as I'd love to, I, I can't be snarky in response. I can't be out to win. Because you see, if... I'm out to win, then I'm out for me. I have to be out for us. Testimony isn't about me. Testimony is about the good news of God's dream, how we can join together. Even though we're different, even though we have different views, we can join together to experience and live into the truth of the prayer. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, here, now. It will take the grace of God and some sacred dexterity for the church in this day and time, for pastors in this day and time, to be wise as serpents, but also innocent as doves. To speak the truth with conviction and clarity and care, but also to do it with love and intentionality. Choosing words that don't inflame but clarify so that we can produce, as one person said, more light, less heat, more co-laborers in the, vid, in, the, in the work. For you see, the harvest is plentiful. There are hurting people out there. Open the newspaper today and you will see story after story of ways in which individuals and groups and entire communities are feeling under siege, are feeling hopeless and helpless, harassed like sheep without a shepherd. We need all hands on deck, and that includes you. You. You're called to be laborers in the harvest, 
No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you think you have or don't have, if you think you have nothing to give to this work of love, let me remind us in concluding the story that Renee read for us from the book of Genesis. God had told Abraham and Sarah, I will bless you, and through you all the world's going to be blessed. The only problem is the years went by, and they never had a child. The promise was not going to be fulfilled. They were out of options. And then one day, three unnamed travelers show up. We can spiritualize them and say they were angels or something, but what if they were just ordinary people like you and me? What if these strangers were just just people? who were doing their thing, found themselves in that place at that time, and they come and they stay with Abraham and Sarah. They share a meal together. They see their situation. They hear their story and feel their plight, that they're beyond childbearing years. And so one of them speaks a word of hope and says to them, next year when I come back, you're going to be burping a baby on your shoulder. And Sarah laughs. But the testimony of that traveler in some ways raised the dead. It rekindled hope. Maybe it opened their heart and who knows what it did inside their bodies. And I wonder if rather than in some prophecy... What if this was simply a hopeful word, a passing hopeful comment, and that they went on and were likely to never even know the outcome of that statement? All we know is this. When the baby was born, they named him Isaac, which means laughter. For God's other name is always surprise. We have no idea. You have no idea how you can be a part of the great harvest to use your life, your word, your hope, your faith to cure the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to cast out the demon. It's our witness in places large and small, in places private and places public, to bring to life the dream of God. Let's pray together. May your kingdom come. May your will be done through boys and girls, through teenagers arriving at camp, through parents who wait at home, through people who are called out into the public square, through all the many and diverse ways that you are seeking to transform this world into the kingdom that you dream. To you, God, be glory, now and forever. Amen.